Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles. Yes, I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends as well, Dylan, because today we have a very special guest, fantasy author and fellow temporary Long Islander. We'll have to get more into that. Nick Martell. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It's uh, great to be here. <laughs> talking of with you guys. Of course. No, the pleasure is all ours. Nick Martell, author of The Kingdom of Liars which is the first book in his trilogy. Congratulations on completing a trilogy, by the way. That is so huge. The Legacy of the Mercenary Kings. His third book is just came out last month, right? Um, the Mercenary uh, Kings yeah. trilogy, right? So you got, um, what's the, oh, I'm blanking on the, the name of The Voyage of the Forgotten. <laughs> Thank you, The Voyage of the Forgotten. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> The Voyage of the Forgotten is now out. I'm excited to read it. We just finished The Kingdom of Liars and we have so many questions to get into on that. But uh, yeah, Nick, again, welcome and thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, like I said, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's been a, uh, just released my third book, so it's always an interesting experience. Or like, I guess it's my first time I finished a trilogy, but it's been a it's been a it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> but I mean, oh. you, the first book came out, The Kingdom of Liars, back in twenty twenty, right? Uh, yeah, uh, wow. came out uh, May uh, tech and slash June twenty twenty uh, because we actually split it into uh, the ebook and audio in May, which was the original release date, and then the uh, print in June. Okay. So it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, kind of like, okay, well, when is my book out again? <laughs> <laughs> well, what part of it's out? What part of it's not out? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's all out now, right? It's all out so... now, yeah. The, everything's out. Everything's finished now. It's the completed yes. trilogy. Uh, so that's, you know, a load off my shoulder. I'm like, all right, everything's right. done. We're good. How's yeah. it feel? How's it feel to finally have that first trilogy under your belt? Uh, it's It's weird. Uh, I don't really know how to describe it. It's kind of like I had been writing this series for so long, but so like it was weird to like lose the characters' voices and plot points and world things where I'm like doing other stuff. And I'm like, oh, right, I don't need to do that anymore. Uh, like I'd come up with like things on what characters say are plot points. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't use that anymore. Like the world's gone, the world's done. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was a very weird experience. I kind of describe it as like you slowly stop talking to a friend that you had like they went mm. to like high school with where you're like, you still have all the great memories, but like you don't chat every day and so forth. Right. Yeah. Maybe one day you'll run into them in the grocery store 10 years yep. later and you'll be like, oh, do I say something? Do I not say something? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe you'll go back and spark up another friendship and there'll be another another set of books in the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. You never know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah. Let's just leave it at that. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Sure, but. <laughs> but I mean that is really impressive. I mean three books in pretty much 2 years. Was this something where you sh showed up to the publisher with all three books kind of ready to go or are you writing at this this breakneck speed of like a book a year more? Uh so I guess this is where I show like the the behind the scenes curtain. Uh I sold the series in 2018, the beginning of 2018. Mm -hmm. And usually when you sell a series the book is done. Uh, so there's some revisions we did on it, but by mid 2018, I was done with King of Liars and we were slated for a fall 2019 release. 
uh and then publishing stuff happened so it got delayed till initially february 2020 and then march uh then may and june 2020 so by the time the first one was out i had already handed in my second book uh which is why we actually had a, a quicker release date for it it went from it was supposed to be initially um uh, it was supposed to be May 2021, but we moved ended up moving up to February 2021 just because we were going to be sitting on it for a few months. Uh, and then with the third book, the same thing happened. I finished it in, I want to say, May 2021 or something like that, around the time the second was releasing. Uh, and then it didn't come up till last month. <laughs> so I had a, it's, it's really impressive when you when you don't find that part of the story out where you're like, oh, I wrote them like a year and a half each <laughs> rather than like breakneck speeds. But We're still impressed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we won't name any names, but there's plenty of fantasy authors that uh, can take well over a decade to get a trilogy out there. So, yeah, yeah. it's awesome <laughs> output. And uh, we had a really great time reading The Kingdom of Liars. It's... Hmm. Uh, uh, really entertaining exciting read the plot moves forward quickly in a way that i think i mean that in a in a very positive way i when folks just get bogged down with world building and do world building for world building sake that kind of stuff uh and the thing goes on and on that i don't enjoy that as much but yours has has it all it has a world building uh, just uh weaved in along the way everything's relevant to the plot uh, and uh yeah it it was a, a real pleasure to read so just just wanted to shoot that compliment out there and, and let our listeners know that uh we, we had a great experience reading the first book of this trilogy yeah thank you uh, i'm blushing now so <laughs> <laughs> well you know dylan you and i weren't the only ones that have praise for the kingdom of liars oh far from it yeah <laughs> far i know where you're going because one of the things we wanted to front. ask you about yeah. nick is to get your reaction to this glowing endorsement that we've read from none other than brandon sanderson himself the new york times best-selling author of the stormlight archive i'm going to read an excerpt of it really quickly just to Keep you blushing, Nick, but also just to give any listeners at home on the fence about picking this book up that that shove they need on the right side here. Uh, An excellent fantasy debut with engaging world building and a good mix between action and character, which is kind of what you were saying, Dylan. I thoroughly enjoyed the novel and look forward to following Nick's sure-to-be-lengthy writing career. I mean, Nick, how does that feel to, to hear such a response from arguably like the leader in the game right now? I mean, that is huge. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure my response at the time was I didn't have a response. I was so shell shocked. Uh, <laughs> I, I had gotten the email from my agent being like, Hey, this is Brandon blurb for the book out of completely nowhere. So I just sent back, I think exclamation points. I didn't have any literally words. And I was just like shoving it into my girlfriend's face, my phone be like, ah, 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 ah. she was like, what, what? She's like, oh. That is um, incredible. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's incredibly flattering for Brandon to like it. I've been a huge fan of his for uh, years and years and years. Mm. Uh, I still remember picking up Way of the Kings in a bookstore, being like, "Wow, this got a knight on the cover. This is really cool." Mm. Uh, and then, <laughs> then being like, "Wow, it's, it's a very unique way to start a book with four different prologues." And then I guess <laughs> yeah. the rest is history from there. <laughs> right. We don't usually recommend Way of Kings as the first one to pick up, but it, I, I mean, it's a fantastic book, and sounds like you you got brought into it anyway. So, 
it sounds like Sanderson is is one of your inspirations then. Um, uh, who else? Uh, who else's work have you really enjoyed? And oh. uh, who else are some of your uh, like inspirations and influences? Um, it's hard not to mention like the classics where it's kind of like Ursula K. Le Guin or Patrick Rothfuss or even George Martin. Like uh, these are the people I grew up with reading. Uh, Christopher Paolini is also a big one because he was one of the, like many fans fans. He was the first one to like, he was like, oh, this is cool. And I kept reading Aragon. Like he, he inspired yeah. a whole generation of people. Um, let's see other authors. I really like Gene Wolfe is incredible. Uh, N.K. Jemison is incredible. I I, I could I could I, I'm just gonna start rattling. I rattling <laughs> off some every of our favorites. So you'll <laughs> yeah. see us yeah. nodding along to a lot of For those. Sure. And yeah, shout out to one of the OGs, Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, I think fans of those authors will find a lot to to love in your work too so you're always happy to i mean it's always a huge it sounds like a well-read huge fantasy fan in himself uh not just a, a writer but a big reader uh are, do you still get the chance to read a lot of fantasy yeah yeah i, I mean it's part i like i guess the the, the non like fancy answers it's part of my it's part of my job now the moment you start publishing mm-hmm. fantasy you, you can't not read fantasy Every so often I kind of see those things where it's like, oh, you stop reading fantasy and you still write it. Like you kind of have to keep up with what's going on because A, it inspires you and B, it's just like you want to know what other people are doing. Because then you can mutter under your breath, how do they do that so well? Which is usually <laughs> what I do. <laughs> and I, sure. I like learn from what they can do. Uh, so yeah, I read fantasy all the time. Um, currently reading a sci-fi actually right now, but uh, oh. usually I always go back to Ooh. fantasy after one book. What you reading right now? Uh, so he his it's called Winders by Ryan Onan, uh, and it's a really good book. It's time travel It's uh, got all stuff bunch light. I actually just met him at a conference I was to. So I always love conferences because I meet the authors and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna pick up their books now and read it. It's a very 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 good book. Uh, and yeah, we would recommend it to anyone. Fantastic. Nice. We'll throw it on the tbrs we don't we're not as plugged in on sci-fi as we tend to be on fantasy but uh with the nick martell seal of approval uh why not throw it on that tbr right away that's exactly right and and you know it's just really nice to see that um you know it must have been really just a kind of seal of approval to get I mean, who would have thought that Sanderson would be out there reading a debut fantasy author novel and then coming back with the blurb and just showing that support to the community and like well-deserved for sure. But the guy must get flooded with stuff. And and so like congratulations to you to like float up to the kind of the, the top of his attention. And also, I guess, kudos to Sanderson. I mean, the guy is also his output is like years, basically a book a year. And so the fact that he has also the time to read and review other books in his spare time is, is incredible. Also, yeah, it's absolutely I think, incredible. <laughs> I think Sanderson's thrown out more than a book a year, though, Charles. But uh I mean, and they're they're the door stoppers too. I mean, Kingdom of Liars is a very beautiful, uh, heavy book on its own, right? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. Use the cover, phrase the "chihuahua killer" to describe <laughs> like the really big. You know, you mentioned oh, yeah. Kings. That one you got to keep away. I, you mentioned you have a a new puppy, so you gotta if you have that way of Kings copy, you gotta keep that far away. You know, <laughs> for sure, it's still small, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, those those books are door stoppers. Like absolutely. I think I've actually dropped like words of radiance or Oathbringer. I forget which one on my foot. I think I was jumping up and down. I was like, oh, oh no. no, 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 no. It's no, like no. a bowling ball. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much what it felt like. <laughs> you know, that's so, the risk we take uh, as fantasy fans and readers, you know. I don't think other mm-hmm. people know like the dangers that are out there. Yeah, it's really a contact sport, reading fantasy books sometimes. Exactly. It would be yeah. a good workout, too. Like, sometimes I'm like, I have to stop reading because my wrists hurt holding this book. <laughs> I need to kind of put it down for a second. <laughs> but uh, that, that's awesome. And, and Nick, we have a we, we were look, researching you, and we immediately gravitated to a few facts about uh, your upbringing. You were born in Ontario, but then shortly after living there, you moved to Huntington, New York. Is that correct? Yep, I, I moved to Huntington when I was about seven or eight, uh, and I lived there pretty much till I was 22. Uh, that's where I grew up, so I'm very familiar with Long Island. I I love it. I I wish I could go back. I still love the place I grew up with, but I no longer live there, sadly. Yeah. Well, we grew up we in Huntington to... as well. We did. Yeah, no, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> like, I... Not just Long okay. Island, not just the North Shore. We're talking the same yeah. town. I mean... So... So here's a great question. This is gonna no okay. one's gonna understand it. Who did who? Which Pete's place did you go to? Did you go to? Oh, which well, one? Little, little Vincent's. Vincent's. I mean, oh, we like oh, roses yeah. as well. I was but... roses. Uh, yeah, roses yeah, is excellent. I knew you, I'll say we like roses. He's either well. little Vincent's and the or roses. specialty slices <laughs> yeah. are. I mean, it's a very different pizza eating yeah. experience, right? Little it Vincent's, is. you get a plain slice or you get a cold cheese slice, and then in roses, you know, they've got those cheese ones, the chicken bacon slices, chicken bacon. Yeah, buffalo like chicken, ravioli. ravioli. Um, oh man, I could go on and on. The margarita slice there is fantastic. Uh, yeah, they're so, all yeah. fantastic. That's a better place to hang out too. Like if there's a bunch mm-hmm. of high schoolers with nowhere to go, like Roses is better than Little V's. Little V's are just firing those ovens at all cylinders, and it's just too hot. In there. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and it was smaller. Like you couldn't yeah. like I like you guys said. Like me and my high school friends will all go there. Roses just because it was bigger. They had more tables and they could like accommodate us. Little Vincent's was always like, <laughs> all right, we're gonna stand outside and eat our pizzas. <laughs> But like the we pizzas, unparalleled, oh. unparalleled. Oh, yeah. Like I haven't oh. had better pizza than that in my whole life, and I've been chasing it. I've been chasing it. You, there's nothing yeah. better. I'll, I'll be uh, someone who now lives in PA. I, I still dream of both Little Vincent's and Rose's pizza all the time. Oh, like, I'll say, I just want to go back. I'm in Colorado now. I used to live in PA. So we have some serious overlap yeah. here, Nick, <laughs> but uh, I'll say, uh, obviously, New York pizza the best, but. PA is still pretty good compared to if you start heading this far out west, you're you're gonna have some problems. And Colorado, yeah, the pizza just cannot compare. Well, on the bagels, the the discrepancy when it comes to New York bagels to Colorado bagels, it's like not even worth eating them out here. So, so, so it's not in my bio, but I lived in Colorado for about two years too. No, way. Wow. <laughs> I, I lived Nick, in Denver. How many times have we probably just seen each other walking down the street <laughs> in these various places? <laughs> That's oh, awesome, dude. I, I'm I'm so happy to talk to you. This is funny because Dylan and I, we went back to um, to Long Island about a year ago together. We were visiting a friend who lives in Queens, but we were like, okay, while we're all here, we got to go back to Long Island. We got to go back. Uh, and yeah. we went back and we went to um, Book Review, which is now closed, by the way. Oh, Can you believe yeah. that? Like, yeah, that it's was, closed. 
heartbreaking. But that's where Dylan bought me my copy of Lies of Locke Lamora, which I love so much. And then um, we went to Lil Vincent's because you just had to do it. But it was tough. We had to go to Rose's and we had like a half slice because right. <laughs> like we got to just we have like one day to slice. hit up all the spots. Yeah. So it's like one slice here, one <laughs> slice here. You know, it was tough, yeah. but we made it work. Yeah, no, I'm I'm heartbroken about book review. I still remember those giant like author signs they used to oh, have yeah. outside of it being like blank is signing say, blank is signing say. Growing yeah. up, one of my dreams was like I'm gonna be on that sign. I know. And then they shut that down. Uh, became you would have been. So I was just like I'm you out. Were so <laughs> like, close, you just uh, missed the cut. So close to it. We would have we would have gone and supported you for sure. Oh, oh, definitely. Thank you. <laughs> With the name of Nick Martell on the on the <laughs> outside the window, you know that's where I met um, J.K. Rowling years ago. She did a book signing. Oh, wow for harry potter so i've got my first three copies signed uh, but uh that's awesome yeah one day it could have been nick martell but i don't know yeah i don't know what's gonna go there now who knows starbucks or something i don't know last time i was there i don't i think it was still closed or there's nothing in there still yeah that's sad we managed to catch it right before it closed when we were there about a year ago in august I think it was, but anyways, that's our long island. We could go on yeah. forever and ever. Riveting ever. podcasting for <laughs> just a North very Shore, niche long audience island fan base, but they're loving this. They're loving. But this. there's oh. someone out there who is like, I know these pizza places, oh, and okay. I disagree or agree with it instantly. <laughs> I go mean, to if you can't Vincent's, find a place on the side of Vincent's or Roses in Huntington. I mean, what are you doing? Like, what is it? There was like that one that opened up like right before we left. Charles was like Portofino's or something. Portofino's, and then the there was another one that opened like near Roses, up. where you're like, "Good luck, buddy." <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know. You're like the fourth pizza place to be here. What was that other one like off like on the outskirts of town? Is was it like it started with the letter D? Didn't it? Doremos. Doremos. Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah, familiar. Yeah. 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 Well, that was like where you'd go if you. You know, your kids just got out of soccer practice and <laughs> you had to take the whole team over somewhere. You know, you can't stuff them into little Vincent's. So, right, all right. right, all right. I promise to the listeners <laughs> not from the North Shore of Long Island <laughs> that uh, we'll, we'll move on to well, subjects that are more. I wanted to talk more about the story of Kingdom of Liars and we'll keep it spoiler free for those of you considering um, listening to this to the book or uh, reading the book. Um, I did a little bit of both. The audiobook is fantastic, by the way. Um, really, really nice. But the thing I want to talk about mostly is kind of the the main character, Michael Kingman, right? And I guess I could introduce the story with a little bit of a blurb here. Michael's branded a traitor as a child because of the murder of the king's nine-year-old son by his father, David Kingman. Ten years later, Michael knows something is there in the hot, white emptiness of his mind that can clear his family name. And that kind of kickoff, right, this idea of, like, I'm avenging my father's death, but I can't really remember what happened, it, it fuels Michael's quest throughout the whole book. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is you make a character that is, like, very clearly flawed in some ways and that sometimes he can let his um mm-hmm. his passion for finding out what happens about the mystery around who killed his father um cloud his logical decision making and get him into all kinds of trouble what what made you want to write a book about uh, a character who's so clearly driven by these these flaws in his character and how like it like, what was the inspiration for Michael, this character that who was just trying to solve this mystery about his father? 
Um, so the two ways I kind of describe the inspiration for Michael, well, actually three ways, uh, but well, I can't talk about one of them because it's a spoiler. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but one of them I want to be like, Michael is going to be the most unreliable narrator you're going to come across uh, for a variety of reasons. And the part of it's the magic system, how it engages with him as a character. Part of it is his own kind of personality. Part of it's the country he grew up in that no one should really trust Michael's narration. Uh, and he doesn't really trust his own narration. <laughs> um, so that was kind of the inspiration of like, how unreliable can I make a character and have them solve a mystery? Um, and the second way I really describe it as um, I wanted to see kind of what, what, what pressure and pride and like legacies do to someone. So I always describe Michael as, okay, so, so take, imagine you're the son of Harry Potter. Gandalf's your grandfather, and then and Merlin's your great grandfather, and then you're the first one in the family who has no magic. You're not not going to be a grand sorcerer. You're not going to be a wizard. You're going to be nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I describe Michael as someone who is grew up in this very heroic and legacy focused family, and he's not anywhere close to what everyone else in his family was. He's arguably uh, kind of villainous in certain aspects <laughs> rather than heroic. Uh, right. So I really wanted to explore that, what we would do to someone and how it would affect them. Um, this is something I didn't really see in fantasy. I wanted to try to explore those things of like less about prodigies, more of like, okay, this guy, this guy's kind of messes up a lot. How does he grow and learn and change? Right. And it's interesting yeah. in the beginning of this book where it's like, hey, Michael, come with me on this really dangerous thing that we don't really have to do. But, you know, it might be useful. And he's like, oh, I feel my legacy pressing down yeah. on me to go do this and like i really <laughs> want to find out i am a kingman after all and then he goes yeah. on and it's really interesting to watch like the kind of the illogical steps that he's making that's honest to the character but as a reader you're like don't go in there it's not gonna be good <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like a fun divergence from just like harry potter for example although harry potter does kind of act like a stuck up teen sometimes and gets himself into trouble but this is a whole nother level than yeah it's a whole nother level <laughs> yeah it's the initiative that michael takes and his willingness to actually pursue things i i, I think makes him uh, such a, a like compelling protagonist to read right we are charles brings up harry potter and i i have always had some qualms about him <laughs> as a character because he just kind of sits there like he kind of things just kind of happen around him and it's a classic chosen one bit that you're kind of getting at with the idea of the prodigy it's like uh, harry potter just has to sit around and be harry potter and it, it does kind of feel like everything falls in his lap well mm -hmm. michael is someone who could have been that but everything fell apart and now he's got to take all these actions himself if he wants to build that legacy and, and it's a very different motivation uh i'll say a kingman reminds me of actually quoth in a lot of ways uh you mentioned the king killer chronicle before it's a very different motivation but his uh, rashness and uh, the way that his mouth and, and sometimes his fist uh, gets himself in, in trouble in times where it'd be better if he, you know, just sat on his hands quite literally. Then uh, it's, you know, that active protagonist moves the story along. It's part of the reason why the, the pace is uh, something that I think is part of where Kingdom of Liars really shines. So did you did you go in wanting to write a really active protagonist or did it just kind of fall into place once you got to know uh, Michael and, and 
who he is and what makes him tick. Uh, so Michael was a weird character to come up with initially um, because he kind of is a, a kind of a massive hypocrite and a bundle of contradictions all at the same time. Um, but he is very active. And like you said, like he's always kind of moving towards because he thinks it's what he has to do. Um, so he was fun to write in that you can't, I'd be ready and be like, oh, he's about to make a terrible decision. There's nothing that's going to make him not do this terrible decision, but he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and him being active kind of had to be that way. Because the worst thing I didn't really want to write is an act like a character who makes terrible decisions and then sits on their hands the entire time. Um, he's just not engaging. And I already kind of knew the, uh, this is, I guess, a little more right, uh, writer, like pure writer craft is I knew the audience would accept a, a character who's going to frustrate them if they're being active where you're like, why do you keep doing these things? Why do you keep doing these things, Michael? But they weren't going to accept it on another level. Like if you're just like, oh, everything's terrible happening to me. I'm never leaving my house again. And it's not like a, I don't know how to write that book. I'll be real. I don't know how to write a book where <laughs> they never leave their room with the terrible things keep happening to them. Yeah. Um, so I think it was just a product of the writing. It had to be that way. Well, that's very Sandersonian of you. You know, he's got those three character attribute sliders. And I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yeah. Well, one, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I mean, speaking of someone who uh, thinks of writing as a craft, that guy, he's got down to science. But uh, yeah, that proactivity is one of the sliders. There's proactivity, likability, and competence. And I think you dial the proactivity way up for Michael. And that's part of, even though he's... Uh, he's not the most, I guess, quintessentially likable person. You definitely find yourself rooting for him. And even when you mention this, like, oh, he's kind of villainous in some ways. He His main motivation is kind of his legacy. And I was like, oh, that's, that's all true. But I almost didn't stop and think about that when I was reading the book because I just found myself rooting for him because he's constantly taking these steps. And you're like, all right, go get it. Yeah, then I did my job perfectly then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a great balance because you talk about this idea of like pride, but then with Michael also comes this great sense of loyalty to his existing family and to his friends. So you, you find yourself rooting for him because he does have a lot of good guy qualities about him. He wants to keep his friends safe. He wants to defend his family honor. He wants to do right by his family that's still with him and you can like identify all of those things and, and root for him along the way. But then when you dial up some of his pride, like, Oh, I'm a King man. I should be able to do these things. You know, that kind of maybe will push him to work with less savory characters to find out a bit of truth that he's chasing. You, you can kind of be like, okay, that's kind of risky behavior, but, it may like Michael would do that because that's just like the amount of turmoil that he's gone through with his just his situation of having it like the beginning of this book his family's just broken apart you know and he's and he's trying to he seems to be like the only one who's dead fast on like reviving the legacy or at least living up to it and he he puts that burden on himself which is another really interesting thing like no one is asking him to be like gandalf or merlin it's like you can be whoever you want and you raise that question towards the middle of the book which is great where certain characters like you know you could settle down change your name live your life and michael just can't do that it's just not possible for him and uh no i, I think as a character, the way you balance those traits, it, it, it's fascinating. Uh, thank you. Yeah, Michael was, uh, I'd probably say, the one, one of the most challenging protagonists I've ever tried to write, um, just because of how 
it was always a thin line of go too far and he's going to be incredibly unlikable. Go the other way, he's going to be not proactive enough or too proactive and he's not going to stop things. Um, and I think I wrote that first book. Oh, I think it went through like something like 13 or 14 or even 15 drafts of it wow. before I got a way that like liked it. And I think and not even some of those were half of those were with my agent and editors. It was a tight rope the entire time to balance it out. Um, so it was, it was fun. It was, it's the most challenging book I think I've ever written. And I, I can say that now since I've written three of them. Yes, <laughs> gotcha. Yes. Well, <laughs> you did mention there that he was such a challenging protagonist to get down or the most challenging that you ever tried to write. So that makes me curious about your journey to get to your first published work uh do you did you have these trunk novels that you went through kind of uh, cutting your teeth at it or are you uh you know are you someone like Rothfuss who just came in and, <laughs> and wrote that excellent debut right off the bat I you know I'd love to say that I got around the first time but I did not not anywhere close um I I started writing in about fifth grade and I wrote a book every two years um, so by the time I wrote The King of Liars, I was on book like seven, eight or nine, um, where I just essentially what I had been doing was I'd write a book, realize it's really bad and I would destroy every aspect of it, except like one or two things. I'd be like, that's still kind of cool. I'm going to try something different. I'm going to carry that on, take it to the next book. And I kept doing that over and over again. So there are parts of like the, the King of Liars that were from that very first novel. And there are parts that were nowhere near. And Michael, sadly, was nowhere near. Michael <laughs> didn't come into the book until, like, maybe draft, like, maybe seven. Like, it was, he was very towards the end because he made uh, the memory magic system work. Uh, but I just kept writing things. I kept writing things that were interesting. Like, my first book was the worst Harry Potter knockoff you could ever imagine because Harry Potter was super popular <laughs> at the time. And I thought, wow, I can do this, too. And then it was the worst book ever. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, I really, I really cut my teeth the entire time, like just steadily grinding out books after books after books until I got finished one. I was like, oh, they're still kind of interesting. This is interesting to me, even after I finished it. Let me try to sell it, and then I sold it, sold the book to my, I uh, sold the book, and uh, rest, the rest is history. Got published. <laughs> That's yeah. an incredible journey, and you know, it reminds me, I was, I was kind of spying on the uh, Joe Abercrombie Reddit AMA the other day. <laughs> And a lot of people kept asking him, like, how do I get started? What's my advice? And what he said kind of mirrors your process, which is like, just start writing something and then edit, 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 edit like crazy with this idea of like put something out there and you can always refine it later. But ride that kind of that kind of spark, that seed, I guess, and, and then just keep working it until you're happy with it. And for you, it's like to trunk so many novels and then do 16 revisions of Kingdom of Liars. It it, it sounds like you really lived that process. Yeah, like the, I, the best thing as a writer you can do is finish a book because then you can improve it. You can't finish, you, you can't improve a book that's not finished, um, which is why sometimes the advice I always give about writing is that like, Sometimes you just need to put your head down and keep writing and go towards the finish line. And then there are other times, um, like I describe writer's block as if I get writer's block, something is fundamentally wrong in the beginning parts of my novel. Because that something's stripping me up. I got to go back and fix it. But otherwise, I'm always writing for it. I'll be like, I'll fix it in post. Like my, yeah, exactly. My my books are littered with like, I don't know what the name of this thing is. I don't want to come up with it right now. Insert here later, and I'll just keep going. I just keep going. 
It's good advice because that way you just keep riding the inspiration of the moment, you know, and don't get tripped up on things you can always think of later. (laughs) Do it in post. Do it in post. And it seems like when we talk to authors, uh, trunking six or seven or eight novels is not unusual at all. It actually seems like it's a more typical story by far than the person who just comes out and writes a book and sells it and then gets published. I mean, uh, listeners don't quote me on this but sanderson went through something like 12 or, or 13 i think it was uh, yeah. do you know it off the top of your head no but i know i think he was double digits somewhere yeah. there it was a lot yeah yeah so it's yeah. uh but that's how you master the craft like that and he went through it so many times that by the time he was publishing novels uh i think it was uh Lantris first it's like he really had it down so well and probably better to be coming out with work that uh, you know you've refined your skill set to that point rather than you know when you're writing the harry potter knockoff yeah and i'll I'll, I'll just you know gush about Sanderson for a second. The thing I always admired about Brandon was that he also, once he got published, he still kept tr- like perfecting his craft and stuff. Like you could tell certain yeah. books, he was like, "I really want to try out this more." Like mm-hmm. Warbreaker is a great example. Like he was like, "I'm just gonna post this online, people can read it, and then they can <laughs> figure it out, look at my process and stuff." Um, and Lantris and Mistborn are the same way, where he kind of was like looking at things, be like, "I want to try this or this and this." Um, and as a writer, I'm like, wow, that's incredible because you always want to be perfecting your craft. Like that's, mm-hmm. you always, I always want to be pushing myself forward and see other things. And as a reader, I'm like, wow, it's really cool. He's, he's trying all these experimental things. And then there's the other writer part of me where I'm like, Brandon's experiments are incredible. How does he do this? Like <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, yeah, um, when you have a that when once you've written like 30 something books and published half of those it's like i guess you can start figuring out what works and what doesn't um one of the things i was curious about you had mentioned that like you kind of bring like ideas from your trunk novels into your next novel i'm kind of curious like what was do you what do you remember being like the earliest seed in one of those early novels that blossomed in the kingdom of liars was there any detail that you managed to carry over from those early early works back in the fifth grade that made it into your debut novel as a published author uh yeah um so one of the earliest ones uh it 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 didn't become exactly how it is now Mm -hmm. um but the magic system started off with me being like what is the worst thing i could do to someone without killing them and I thought that wiping someone's memories and having them be like, are they the same person? Is it the same thing? It's kind of like the ship of Theseus argument, where it's like, if you destroy something completely and then rebuild it exactly piece by piece, is it the same thing or is it something different? Um, and that was kind of one of the things I worked on. It was the magic system. The magic system obviously got changed and stuff sure. as time went on and the prices went up and the costs were changed. but that was one of the earliest things I ever started writing. And I think that's why I like costs and magic systems so much. Like to me, the cost of the magic system is the cool part. Like, I'm like, I want to know what these characters are going to do. Like you can cast fireball. Sure. But I want to know that what that fireball is going to do to you cost. Like you have to put like, are you losing your arm to do it? Like using like your life points, like your energy and stamina. That's mm-hmm. the part I really hone in as a writer. 
Um, so I think that would be it. <laughs> I mean, and the magic system's interesting, and and I that that pivots nicely into like I would love to talk more about both the magic system and the setting in the world here in the Kingdom of Liars, and like in the excerpt here you have in a world where memory is the coin that pays for magic, the Hollows <laughs> is ruled by a royal family that's spiraling into a self-serving dictatorship, just as gun-wielding rebels clash against the country's magically trained militia, and then on the cover here your setting takes place over a exploded moon so it's like it's <laughs> it's, it's i love the covers oh, the covers we'll gorgeous later, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll judge the, the book this, by the covers excellent uh, on this one you definitely can and the the uh, i like the God, the the second one is I, I one of my favorite covers that I've seen. I love that one too. But we'll get into more about the covers when Charles has questions about um, the magic no, system. I, I would just love more insight into yeah. how this setting came to be of so many different pieces coming together, both in like, oh yeah, there was a moon that exploded into pieces, and that kind of <laughs> uh, some of the religion and also some of the economy and politics, and then we have this dying kind of monarchy, and then we have this rising militia, and guns are. A relatively new invention taking the world by storm. It's it's like how do you start to piece all of these details together, and what kind of was the inspiration for for this wonderful setting here of the hollows? Um. Okay. Let me. Let, 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 I got to figure out where to start with that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of angles yeah, you could like start four, from. Yeah. Four questions in there, Charles. <laughs> um, so the the magic system essentially, besides the memory cost magic thing, um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I got to be careful here about what I say. Um, one of the things I really wanted to focus on was that it is not a defined magic system uh, to the readers. To me, it's a very defined magic system. I know exactly how every single aspect of it works, but based on the fact that people cost, you know, it's magic uh, to uh, memories to use. I knew that part of it is going to be focused on like the ignorance of the population of like, there's no books that they can go to and be like, this is how it works. There's no manual. They kind of have to experiment. Mm -hmm. And by experimenting, they're going to be losing memories and they're going to be kind of self-inflicting harm. And it's kind of that conference like, okay, where's the limit of power and how much do I want to wager it? It's kind of like gambling with a magic system. Mm -hmm. Um, And that get back to my thing of like, well, if the nobles have it, they're not going to be the ones who are going to want to give this up. They're going to want to keep the secrets themselves. So they're going to be the one hoarding all this stuff. So they're going to gain control of it. Because, look, uh, if you have magic and people, other people don't, you're going to take control in a very like kind of sad brute force. Like you're you're going to be the ones in charge since you can do these things. Hmm. And after that, it became an instance of okay, I have these nobles who are kind of re- ruling through magic, and they can't really. They're hiding the secrets of it what can kind of tips the scales into other people's ways and gunpowder really is um the invention of gunpowder <clears throat> changed a lot of things for a lot of people throughout history so giving rebellions gunpowder was kind of like the obvious choice to me because i'm like it doesn't matter how good of a wizard you are like there's always the joke of like why didn't someone show up with a gun to harry potter and shoot voldemort and i kind <laughs> of like took that joke seriously and i'm like well maybe they should have and like that's kind of why my uh, my characters use uh guns and stuff because it's it's very hard to stop a bullet unless you know you're in like brian mckellen's world where like they can do twisty (laughs) magic stuff with it um yeah so that's kind of the bare bones the social stuff as for the moon (laughs) um hey it was kind of it wasn't on the last editions but it was closer towards the end um, and I was really trying to strive away from that. Um, 
I grew up reading a lot of fantasy books, and I think a lot of people can relate with me that a lot of it kind of tends to be medieval fantasy, like Europe, Europe, mm-hmm. European central fantasy. And I looked around with what I wanted to do, and I'm like, well, I kind of still want to keep this time period. I don't want to age up to like trains, uh, something like Joe Abercrombie does in his latest trilogy, where there's like yeah. a huge technological boom. Like, I didn't want to do that yet. Um, and I thought, well, what can I do that kind of sets this world apart for others? And I, this is really cheesy, but it's what happened. I looked up into the sky, saw the moon, and thought, huh, I wonder what happened if it like wasn't there or like exploded. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Uh, and I ran with it. Uh, and I looked at the things. And uh, <laughs> I guess this is a fun fact. The reason there's two moons is because I couldn't figure out the title patterns with with a broken moon. Uh, they literally didn't work. So I had to literally put a second moon just to temper the world uh, to make sure it could, people could actually live near the sea. And even then, they're still kind of chaotic now. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's And then the whole thing of the piece of the falling moon was kind of like, uh, it was a deep-seated fear of mine. Uh, I grew up in New York around 9-11, and I was a kid. And you, as you guys may have known, like there was a big fear back then of, like, is things going to keep falling out of the sky? Um, so I took that fear and ran with it, being like, okay, pieces of the moon are falling down. How would a population react to this? Um, and that's my quick version of how I created a bunch of different things in the world. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It almost like when it all comes together, like especially with this broken moon hanging over, there's almost this like post-apocalyptic kind of mentality hanging over this environment you've got lost knowledge you've got shattered moons and then you've got this whole mystery and this kind of weakened monarchy it was a really fascinating kind of mood that you placed over the whole setting that to me felt post-apocalyptic a little bit even though you know they're totally functioning just fine and they're like like well we're not gonna stop going to work just because the moon exploded you know yeah. <laughs> it's like gotta show up at nine tomorrow Can't if i want to keep my job <laughs> yeah exactly uh and uh, one of the things i added i guess let's add this in but one of the things i focus on is that well if a population has, is so used to this how long would it take before they just didn't care anymore? Like it was just a part of their lives. Yeah. Um, so we're seeing that part of like post lockdown feel like Hunger Games or something of that sort, where it's been going on so long. People are like, mm-hmm. oh, I hate this thing, but I don't really question why it's happening and stuff. Um, and that was kind of the, you know, the bigger mysteries of the series is what happened to the moon. Why is it like that? And they, they yeah, it's, it's why, why is it happening? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many mysteries that um, are are still kind of open ended by the end of Kingdom of Liars and and uh, now you have things kind of brought to the end with your trilogy of the Voyage of the Forgotten. I mean, without getting into any spoilers, Dylan and I still have to read you know the second book, the Two Faced Queen. Two-Faced it, Queen. It's it's um what's kind of your now that you've got that third final book out there like what's kind of some of your shout lines for this third book the voyage of the forgotten like what do fans of kingdom of liars have to look forward to now that the book is finally out um so i keep i try to uh i keep my cards pretty close to in terms of location what the greater world you see in the first two books mm-hmm. and it's done intentionally for a lot of reasons uh, mainly since the series deals with you know, knowledge is power and ignorance is kind of something that's deeply in the society. The third book, I'm like, 
here's the world and I, I kind of show it off like very chaotically and like we're just gonna I'm just gonna show you it you're gonna see all these things that are hiding behind the scenes um where I wanted to take the characters who had grown up in this kind of like fish pond where it's like they're the big fish in the fish pond they go into the greater world they're like oh maybe they're the they're the small fish after all mm. that's exciting because I feel like the kingdom of liars there's a lot of really big picture stuff going on from a rebellion from a moon that keeps uh falling apart uh but it remains a very intimate and personal story because the main driving force is figuring out what happened uh, uh to michael's father and and that whole mystery uh, but i feel like you set the table so well for expanding that world and it sounds like it sounds like you at least at least for a while uh, if not forever aren't planning on going back to the world so i guess it's time to like lay all the secrets bare by the final book right yeah i i always described the book the, the series as a whole is going to be so kingdom liars is always boy to man that's kind of the transition i wanted to have the mm. field like it's kind of a kid who's growing up and that's more of the coming age with the second book uh, being Man to Hero. So it gets a little more heroic. Things get a little more bigger scales. And then the third book is kind of Hero to, leg uh, hero to Legend uh, and stuff like that. So it was always gradually going to get bigger as the world opened up and up. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I, I lay a lot of my secrets open in that third book where things are just like, hey, you've been wondering about this for this long? Here it is. Here's the answer. <laughs> That's exciting. I know we can't wait to dive into it. <laughs> Have to have you have to have you back on when we finish it, so we can get into all the spoiler filled glory. Yeah, it's uh, I, I I love talking uh, about the book, but I'm always like, oh man, I don't want to spoil this. I gotta I gotta be careful. I think I'm the worst person in terms of spoilers. Where I'm like, oh yeah, this happened, and like they're like, what? I'm like, uh oh, you didn't read that part. My bad. <laughs> well, for the most part, when you're talking to uh, the public or people you're trying to sell the book to i imagine you can't even spoil anything from the first book and for you that was you said you uh, sold it in 2018 right i was like yeah uh, four years ago <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it's like so far back for you and you can't even spoil that and i know a lot of the authors we've talked to and we do get into spoilers that's some of what they most like to talk about because it's like they never get to talk about it yeah <laughs> I I felt so bad. I went to recently went to a conference and I had all three of my books there, and each I, I like to say all the covers are very eye catching, like very eye catching. Mm -hmm. uh, they are, yeah. So I had someone pick up the third book because it's got a you know gorgeous dragon on it, and they picked it up and I'm like and they like flipped it over. Like I'm like, oh, don't read that. Like I'm like, I, <laughs> yeah. I know the cover is amazing. Don't read it. Like trust me, <laughs> yeah. it spoils everything so quickly. <laughs> but I'm like, do not read it. They're like, oh, where's the first one? I'm like, I hand it to them. They're like, oh okay and i feel like i have to trade it out like oh no <laughs> before we uh before we got in touch with you there's a local bookstore i almost picked up the two-faced queen like three times because every time i i see the cover i'm like oh i need this book and then i'm like oh it's a second book because i i absolutely love that one we talked about the, the covers a little bit before it's like uh, listeners, I mean, you can't see anything right now, but if you Google the Two-Faced Queen, I mean, that cover, also check out Kingdom of Liars. But this cover, it's very like Phantom of the Opera mm -hmm. looking, and uh, it's got uh, just like a 
beautiful aesthetic to it. it got this woman kind of like holding a, a crown on it with her face half covered it's just uh, the colors of it are great and, and it's not hurt by having excellent by brandon sanderson on the side yes. and innovative <laughs> by tamora pierce you also got the i mean you've got the like we've got mount rushmore level people uh, uh, mount rushmore <laughs> genre level people out there approving of it but yeah so these covers are freaking fantastic uh where you want to skip ahead just to read what's inside of it um yeah tell us about because generally speaking authors who are traditionally published don't have much of any control over the cover um what was the process like for you finding out what your cover is going to look like and uh everything related to that uh so i was very lucky in terms of <laughs> i guess my my editor just like knew exactly what i want like when we when we talked about the king of liars he was like all right so i gotta put the shattered moon on it right and i'm like yeah and he's like all right done <laughs> like it's just like it was very quick uh there's actually a version of that exists with people on it i'm the only one who ever me and my editor are the only people who have ever seen it uh, and we ended up changing it to put more emphasis on the moon uh <laughs> and then for the second one uh we were going we were going through titles and i was like okay well two-faced queen and they're like all right that's perfect and then he my editor hesitated he's like okay so we're putting the princess on the cover right and i'm like uh, yeah i mean that would make sense it's a two-faced queen and he's like all right done and they came back with this image and i'm like this is better than i could have thought of like you, you didn't need my ask my advice but this is better and then sure enough for the third he's like he read this one scene he's like okay we're putting that on the cover right and i'm like okay you just literally answered my wildest dreams but that's cool <laughs> so I, I had a very easy cover experience it was that's kind awesome. of me just being like yes uh so uh, yeah i love them they're they're incredible i i always say i gotta we have to make a deal with like a demon or something for my next set of books because i don't know how i'm gonna beat these covers like they're so good yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't blame you tough to top yeah but mm. you know deal with the devil it could give you they always say write what you know so it could give you some good inspiration for future fantasy novels exactly and i i and the thing the cool thing about the covers i really like is that uh in the uk they're all completely different too and they're they're the different yet very similar and really cool like the first one has michael on it in the uk and he's kind of this very thing and my favorite thing about the Two-Faced Queen is it's the same character depicted two very different ways and they're the same, it's, her, it, their, it's their personality combined that makes these things. So I was really ecstatic about all the covers. And then the third is just incredible too. I'm just going to gush. It's And I guess I'll just mention my cover artists. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Anderson did them in the UK, who's incredible. He did uh, Kings of the Wild too. Uh, oh, absolutely incredible great book and great cover yeah mm -hmm. okay and so. then <laughs> yeah the bastion de la harm did it the covers in the u.s oh bastion did the first one in the u.s and then benjamin carr did the second and third ones so absolutely incredible artists i i hit the jackpot i won't even try to deny any of it like i know <laughs> how good my covers are like mm -hmm. I, I i love them that's awesome <laughs> it's good to hear that you had such a good experience too with your editors and your publishers and the artists and everything that's that's awesome Mm -hmm. love it when everything Very comes lucky. together so one of the things i wanted to make sure that we asked you you know now with this trilogy you behind you you were all you know your book came out november 1st so at the time of this recording it's already been a month which means you only have like 
you know, 13 more months to go before you complete another book at this pace, right? <laughs> um, What's so, next for Nick Martel? Yeah, so this is what I, I guess, pulled back the curtain a little bit. Uh, again, I've been, I haven't touched uh, the third book since like May 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been writing kind of other stuff in the meantime. Uh, and it's it's cool. Like I, I've been enjoying writing. I get to play a lot with things. I when I came out of this trilogy, I wanted to write something completely different. And I said, ah, whatever. I got time. I'll change my style. It, you know how long it took a long time to change my style that I thought it was going to take. That's a very arrogant statement. But that's I, I was like, oh, this can't be that hard. It took a long time. Uh, <laughs> so I've been messing around with different styles and things. Um, but I actually probably going to send my agent a new book at the end of this week if he, if he oh, listens yeah. to this before he <laughs> if he listens to it before friday comes, breaking news like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so i i got another book it's almost done again uh but uh, yeah it's it's cool i it's nice. it's it was fun to write uh which is always kind of the thing that you want to uh get back to i think a lot of writers especially after you complete a trilogy you kind of get burned out where it, mm-hmm. even the world, the characters or something, and you really want to like do something different. Sure. I think that's why like, like Joe Abercrombie, he went and wrote his YA trilogy after he finished one of the series. Mm-hmm. He wants something different. Brandon does. Sure. I can't, I, Brandon has to be an asterisk. <laughs> he, he, he writes all the things. Yeah. Um, so, he's, yeah. He's got like <laughs> three, he's got three series going yeah. and then some spinoff things in the meantime. It's all, he's always like, oh yeah, I just wrote this quick 500 page novel for fun. It's like, you know, yeah. I needed a little break from writing Stormlight. So, and I meant to make it 200 pages, but I I don't know somehow it became 500 <laughs> <laughs> exactly i don't okay this is a completely aside i don't know how when you guys viewed the brandon video where he said he wrote like four books uh, right. i was yeah. losing it because i was like <laughs> he's probably just ever written a new book like this is what this video is and then the yeah. first one came out i'm like all right i gotta write and then he dropped the second one i'm like well that's like a friend underestimating him then he dropped the third and i was like oh no and i saw the fourth one I'm like, oh <laughs> No. Oh no! How did he? Uh, he was being so right. cheeky when he did that. But like, yeah, yeah. Wrote, well, that's the thing, right? He's like, we books. all cope in our own ways, and <laughs> you know, I have to make an announcement. I've been just doing my best to cope, so I wrote. And then slowly but surely, all those. Uh, it's like a stack, like up. you wouldn't be able to see so. him in the frame of the shot. Yeah, he's got absolutely. so many papers stacked up. But I mean, you're, you mentioned you're out there trying to change your style, change your voice. Are you still trying to stay within the fantasy genre, or are you trying to bend to another genre here? Um, so it's still fantasy. So mm-hmm. I always describe each of my books as fantasy slash something else. So sure. like uh, Kingdom of Liars was fantasy and a mystery. Uh, mm-hmm. Two Faced Queen was fantasy and thriller. Uh, the Voyage to Forgotten was fantasy and kind of like the adventure. So more of like the Sinbad and those grand scale adventures you're going to see in kind of fantasy. Um, and this new book I'm working on is fantasy horror um, oh, because like it was <laughs> it was it was something I liked. I, I uh, there was parts of uh, the Two Faced Queen I really enjoyed writing, and I'm like I couldn't lean into them too heavily in that book. So I was like, all right, whenever I'm done this, I'm going to do something different. Uh, and I did this. Um, but since finishing Voyage, I've written uh, two books. I guess one of them I. I one of them, it takes me about nine-ish months to write a book of the size I'm writing. So King of Liars was 148, 
Two-Face Queen was 178, and I want to say Voyage was 182. Um, those are rough what I remember with them being. So about that it takes me about nine months to write those size books. Um, and since I was off after Voyage, I kind of tried this new book I was wanting to write. And it failed spectacularly, like utterly spectacularly. <laughs> I like, I was like, this is this was great for learning, terrible for I can't show this to anyone. Um, and then I wrote this other, uh, I call it my fear book, um, that I'm currently working on that I'm really enjoying. Uh, and like I said, it'll probably go to my agent. So he it says it's terrible. I guess I'll, we'll never hear about it again. But <laughs> I'll knock on wood that he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, if you're having fun writing it, there's got to be something to it, right? Mm-hmm. That's what so, you hope for. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what were, like, you said you wanted to go in the horror direction from writing this thriller in The Two-Faced Queen, going into horror. Do you have any, like, horror, like, influences or horror stories that you've really drawn to? Like, what kind of what kind of horror can we be expecting coming from you? <laughs> um. So, obviously, I'm, like, a big fan of, like, Joe Hill, Stephen King. It's just kind of, those are kind of, like, the, all right, out of the way. let me get those two out of the way. Um, I've been a big fan of Stephen Graham Jones, um, what he's been doing recently. Like, I, I remember I found, only started reading him after he wrote Only Good Indians. And I was blown away that book, but I pretty much read everything else he wrote um and i just kept reading horror books like i can't even remember i think i i i probably this past year i've read i don't even know i've read a lot of horror and a lot of fantasy just because it's cool like i'm a big fan of those kind of uh how do i how do i phrase it uh more twisted horror things like the i guess i don't know how to describe it off the top of my head without saying what I'm writing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no worries, no worries. Um, but the, the, I guess the premise of this book is your fears become sentience. Uh, and that's kind of what I wanted to play on and like how that would affect people and affect the population, just like I did with, you know, memories and kingdom of liars and stuff. Like what would it create? Um, so yeah, that's, that's my new awesome. horror ish fantasy book. Uh, I'm really excited about it and it's, it, it draws inspiration for like Dante's Inferno and things. So absolutely Ooh. just bonkers stuff, but it's that is, fun. That is, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. It's nice yeah. to see like at some point you're like, well, you know, I really loved Kingdom of Liars. I really love Nick Martell's work. And then it's like, oh, like sometimes fans of yours might want like, oh, I want, you know, I want the next book with Michael Kingman. Right. But it's like mm-hmm. at a certain point you, you want to kind of branch out and do something new. And I think it's really cool that you found horror as the way to kind of like build onto your, your, your library here. And I think that's one of the great things, like the interesting things about fantasy too. It's like, it's, it's a genre that lends itself to like slash something else, mm-hmm. like slash Western mm-hmm. slash horror slash even sci-fi a lot of times. And I think it's really cool that you're going of experimenting with the genre a little bit i love horror too and i think it's one of those one of those like subgenres that lends itself really well to fantasy because there's like supernatural magic stuff going on all the time in fantasy and and can get a little spooky sometimes so i'm all for it but i imagine it's got to be kind of hard to write something that like might actually disturb your readers it's like how do i present this in a way that's going to like get that kind of spooked reaction out of another person you know i imagine that's got to be really challenging yeah i've i found that the hardest thing is that at least writing horror or like this fantasy horror book i'm working on is that it's really easy to do like 
gore. Like gore is easy to do. Like you can write up ter- a terrible scene and people are like, I have a shocked reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Unnerving is so mm-hmm. hard to write because like a unnerving is di- each difference going to be a little bit different what they think is unnerving. But it's such that like it's more of an atmospheric thing. So you have to spend so much time dealing with the setting and the creepiness and the sounds and the, like the smell mm-hmm. than you may typically have to do in a scene. So I'm constantly being like, okay, this, this, maybe there's too much details here and I got to go take things out and I got to add things in and like, I kind of make this sound better. And then obviously you want to keep the pace up in these kind of scenes because horror really moves briskly. Like it's not a, it's not a genre that's going to spend a lot of time in the same scene opposed to something like say epic fantasy, where like, as you said, they, there are books out there that'll like be like, here's three chapters just on the setting. Uh, <laughs> like I can't do that. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, so it's it's interesting like or it's it's kind of like flexing different muscles where i'm kind of learning things and which is like i went back to with brandon like i always want to be kind of improving and getting better and trying different things uh and why i couldn't write the even the same series i couldn't write the same fantasy slash x like i had to always mix it up just because sure. i like to grow i want to keep myself interested and hopefully readers will too it's awesome and sounds like Part of that growing is this changing of your style. And when you say changing style, do you just mean moving to a different, like, sort of secondary subgenre? Or do you mean, like, trying to change your voice in terms of your writing, your prose? Like, what exactly are you meaning when you say changing your style? Uh, so mainly I change, try to change my prose, uh, lyricism, also intense. Uh, are the main things I worked on. One of the things that I struggled with after finishing Voyage was I had spent so long, even if I just count for when I was published with Michael, I'd, I'd been writing those that voice for like five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. So it was ingrained in me that I couldn't like, I couldn't get it out. I felt like I had just read like 20 Sherlock novels where I'm like, I can't get that voice out of my head. So I had to do Especially something the first person. Yeah. 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 And with him being like, my only voice i was like I, I it was like ingrained in me so i had to do something completely different um so i kept so i wanted to change things and you know things i noticed things in my own writing i'm like i could have done that better and i wanted to try something so i wanted to get a little more maybe lyrical with certain things on certain aspects of description things and then tense i wanted to go to I had to go to a different tense I, I i still don't know if i can write first pass without like bleeding a little bit into michael at times <laughs> uh, which is something i gotta work on um but it, and then it's just you know i wanted to try different things i couldn't do certain things in certain tenses and other things and mm-hmm. i'd like to say my favorite tense is actually second person but no one will ever read second person I mean, so i'll never that's write a it jemison influence right I mean, yeah it's hard to pull off but when someone does it well i mean it's incredible. yeah it second person is absolutely incredible like what jemison does in second person a it's just amazing like mm-hmm. the her first book and how she weaves everything together is perfect in second person but second person draws that really narrow line between like if it's too much it's grading but if it's not enough it's boring and you have to it takes so much effort to get it right uh which is probably why i'm fascinated with because i like challenges and i want to be like all right let's do this next like uh but second person has to be incredible so i'm working on working on that one getting my voice better <laughs> i mean that i mean that 
I think that's great, you know, because I can imagine when you like this is your debut, it kicks off strong, it's the full series, like it's all you know to a certain extent and it's like how do you how do you do the next thing? Like how do you get yourself out of that world and how do you go on to the next world? It, when this has been your whole life has led up to like the debut of your novel, of your trilogy. It's like okay, now like I got to write the next the next series with way less time. So how do you kind of like grow your catalog and what do you want to do as an author? I think it's cool that you're like considering these different like it will say challenges, but really it's more like keeping things interesting and keeping things fun. Sounds important to the creative process. Yeah, it is. And uh at least when I was writing 2020, I was writing Voyage and 2020 obviously a whole different card bad writing but mm -hmm. there was a point where i was like just not enjoying writing where i was like this is just not fun and it wasn't anything to do with the writing or the characters of the plot it was just me as a writer i was like i felt like i was uh, just not enjoying it so i tried different things it turns out that's what i needed to do and i scrapped my entire third book um but that's a different wow. story i didn't <laughs> i don't like doing it but i keep doing it um <laughs> And so I, I realized then I'm like, I want to keep trying to push myself and I'm going to write these things I don't think I can write. Like, sometimes you talk to authors and you see them be like, well, I don't think I can write that book yet. I got to get better. Um, and I kind of fall on the lines of, I don't think I'm ever good enough to write the book I'm going to write, but I'm going to try it no matter what. And then I'll fix it in edits. Like the Joe Abercrombie where I'm like, I'm going to finish this book and then yeah. fix it later uh so that's where i found and like these are the challenges that make me like writing where i'm constantly pushing myself and trying to improve and trying weird new things at least in my head they're weird and new <laughs> awesome well i mean we we can't wait to see what you come up with next i can't wait to get to the end of the kingdom of liars i'm still there's so many mysteries here that we we need to get tied up trilogy, here i'm assuming <laughs> yes sorry what <laughs> So he said the he can't wait till he gets to the end of the king. Yes, of the legend of yeah. the mercenary uh, king trilogy yeah, can't wait. There's many mysteries <laughs> that were kicked off in this first book, and then it sounds like we have a lot to look forward to. And this is only the beginning for Nick Martell, so we're very excited. <laughs> Congratulations on the debut. Um, Thank you. Is there any, like what can the fans know if they want to learn more about you? If they want to see more of your work, like what can they do to support you? What can they do to keep in touch with you? And when that horror book hits the shelves, you know how are they going to find out? <laughs> um, I mean, you can find me at like nickmartel.com. It's kind of where I'm on. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm gradually trying to move over to more Instagram with uh, Twitter being what it is right now. <laughs> uh, but for now, I'm still on that too. Um, <laughs> But otherwise, just buying the books and talking about it really is the big thing. Like, mm. uh, I'll be real. Like, I came out in 2020, which was challenging. Uh, so I heard March was the initial uh, initial February, when it was right? scheduled. <laughs> was it uh, March was the initial scheduled yeah. uh, release date? So, so at one point, we were fall 2019, and then we moved to, it was going to be like March 2020, and then they pushed it back again to like May and June. So by the it time would be probably the worst time in like the last probably who knows like in any of our lifetimes by far like the worst month. <laughs> I cannot explain the things I I saw as a writer. <laughs> My agent has like a, he I don't think he has it now, but he threatened to have it where he was like. I'm going to fill out a bingo card with you of everything I've seen in my 20 year career of my, he's way more than 20 years, my long career as an agent. And we're going to see how many you hit. 
Because at one point he was like, why do things keep happening to you? This is funny, but also just like sad, Nick. And I'm like, thanks. And I'm like, global <laughs> pandemic will just be my like main circular square there. Be like, that's how it started. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's the free spot in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm like, I'm like, that's old hat yeah. at this point. I'm like, all right, I yeah. guess. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty incredible when you think about it. But I mean despite all of that you managed to complete the series and you know the voyage of the forgotten just came out last month guys so the story is still very fresh make sure you catch the whole legend of the mercenary king trilogy make sure you catch nick martell and we'll put some links in the episode and all of that but nick thank you so much for coming on and thank you for talking like pizza as well that was kind of therapeutic for me not yeah. many times we get to speak to a fantasy author that grew up in their formative years in Huntington, Long Island. So this has been a real treasure for us. Yeah, thank you. I, I would imagine I'm probably like the 0.01% of that. <laughs> so I'm happy to always talk <laughs> about pizza. Like, oh, I could talk about the food in Huntington forever. I've heard that it's yeah. like Not a crazy pizza. spot now. I mean, that there's like this busloads of people going there like, on tours and they just unload people on onto tours? the streets yeah on seen, tours really like, i've seen buses pull <laughs> up to like new york avenue and just like people getting off in mass i'm like where are these people coming from it's not even like a bus stop it's just a random uh, bus letting a million people out into the streets <laughs> of huntington i don't know about you guys i didn't realize huntington was like a, a big thing until i like started talking to people in other parts of long island they'd be like oh yeah my parents go to dinner in huntington at this place and i'm like why are you coming to like Huntington to go to a restaurant? Like, isn't there better yeah. places to go near you? It turns out there's, there's not. not. They're all in Huntington. No, <laughs> the, the Paramount. I mean, once yeah. they, the concert venue for our listeners, once they added that, I mean, which I just saw Counting Crows last summer over there. Oh, it's nice. pretty awesome. Yeah, That's pretty cool. Yeah. I used to work there. Yes. I was a marketing intern there in my summers. And while I was in college, I'd come home and, and work there. <laughs> It's a really cool theater, but man, it brings a lot of people in on the weekends. right across the street from Little V's. Though, so. <laughs> ah, that's how they got you. Pizza that summer. Oh man, I remember there used to be this like double fried Bel a Belgian French fry place that shut down. I was so sad when that left. Oh. I don't know. European when it... Republic. Oh, you maybe like it just turned fried... in. Yeah, maybe it just turned into the European Republic. That's what. May... Yeah, I think that's what it was. Well, it, it, like they moved locations and expanded. The yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, that's, that's where American Burger used to be. Oh, Nick was, Nick, was your name <laughs> on the wall at American Burger? That's okay. the question that we should have led with. For, yeah, that, that is a great question. Uh, the answer is yes. My name was yes. on the wall. And <laughs> the second part of that is I have watched people fail that. And oh. my friends included, we all did it together. We, you know, high school stuff. You got to go try this. American Four burger. patties on that burger. <laughs> did you get the, what was it if you ate two of them, Charles? It's like an asterisk There's or a star. that you get. Yeah, it was a star. star. Yeah. Did yeah. You did you also get the. Get, I did not do that. I, I did it once and I was like, I'm Charles good, man. Did. I got oh. the star, but I will say that was the most uncomfortable i've ever been eating by a long shot those last few bites where you literally are trying to swallow and your body is like not letting you only time i've ever experienced such a thing <laughs> i would not recommend it for all the viewers at home <laughs> no no it was it was a great challenge and actually a pretty good burger too like no yeah, they were good, good. No, it was a good burger although that place was cursed it was like 
three yeah. different burger places, I think, opened up there before finally they'd all close. And mm-hmm. finally, then European Republic, uh, bought, I guess, bought the place. Over, yeah. yeah, there were over. there were a few cursed places, Huntington. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, uh, it's so funny our names were up on the wall together at some point uh, maybe they were next to each other it, the, <laughs> maybe they were it wasn't I mean, Martel, McLaughlin, we would all close. be i mean marsh would be and right marsh, next to martel yeah. but yeah. unfortunately i wasn't on the wall uh, <laughs> and i don't think it was alphabetical either I no it was just well they would just throw names on the wall the ceilings was, like yeah. it, wherever they could yeah get. yeah they just kind of slapped them on the wall and they were like here you go so wait, did you go to Huntington High School then? No, I didn't. I didn't. I uh, I went to actually a private school called Luhai down in Brookville, but I went oh, yeah. to Luhai. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I went to. Uh, they have went, like a summer camp there. They do. They do. They have the big yeah. summer camp that, and uh, it's massive. It's still massive. I think. Uh, I went to Woodhall yeah. though in Jefferson. Uh, I still got fond memories. I still have friends who went to Huntington. They still like send me texts, be like, "Oh, here's a bagel I'm eating today." I'm like, "Thanks." I have the VPA. <laughs> like, the breakfast sandwiches too. Yeah, where, okay. oh, oh, I mean, it's like that is the biggest difference. I, like I was saying earlier, like bagels and egg sandwiches. Yeah. Bacon, egg, and cheese. I on think a bagel. that's How actually a bigger that? difference. I know it shouldn't be hard, but I think that's actually the bigger, a bigger difference than the difference between the pizza. I. I mean, you can't get yeah. either as good as you get in New York, but it's uh, that eggs. I can't even eat bagels over here. Just every time I try, it's like a disaster. You know what? Other big difference is diners. There's not much diners oh, where Ameri- they like, like exist. You yeah, know, yeah, they're like old school Americana. That's or delis, gone. really. Yeah, it's like I, they're the delis. like New York deli. I grew up just thinking that was everywhere, and then Same. you go to other places. In PA, maybe you have Wawa, which is something, but it's... Uh, it's a gas it's station, man. Like... No, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good New York deli or anything, but as gas stations go, the food is phenomenal. Okay, as, in terms of, like, a gas station, yeah, yeah it's great. It's, so, so, but it don't, there's no, like, there's the Wawa Sheets. Like, Wawa's great. Yeah. Sheets is great for fried food. Like, I would never order anything else yeah. at Sheets. You want fried food, go there. But, like... Mm. It's gas station. Man, I can't get a bacon egg and cheese anywhere. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be eating it there either. It's no, funny. I, no. I live in but Georgia. But the Wawa mac and cheese, not bad. Yeah, but Georgia good. has like deli, like restaurants that are like New York deli themed, and you're like, this is just not good. Like, this is just not the same yeah. thing. Yeah. It's, it's not even a true deli. It's bizarre, really bizarre. But. I mean, gosh, wow. We went to Cold Spring Harbor High School, so we, we didn't go oh, to either. Yeah. So you want to hear Mr. Miller? <laughs> want to hear a funny story about Cold Spring Harbor High School yes, for me? Yes, 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 yes. Definitely. Yes. So, I, so I took the SATs there, and no one ever told me that I was supposed to show up with my ID. I don't know. I, maybe I just didn't listen. So I got kicked out of the SATs at Cold Spring <laughs> Harbor in front of like an entire wow. classroom. Like, you don't have your ID. And I'm like, and then they sent me to this like library where they're like, okay, if you're if someone comes and brings your ID, you can take this test. So I was just alone in this room for the entire oh. SATs, like taking this, being like, so someone sad. checking and be like, your your ID's not here, Nick. I'm like, I swear it's coming. Like it's coming, I swear. <laughs> and I'm like, as I'm taking this, I'm like, am I just taking this test to get it like tossed in the dumpster? But <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you got enough, a private room to take the test in, right? Uh, yeah. 
That part I'm was wondering nice. what year it was. Maybe <laughs> if, if we're taking the SAT. The well, like, who's place. that loser yeah, getting like, kicked out of the uh, SAT? Yeah, I probably was. Like, <laughs> I almost wanted to go full Nick uh, and like be like, uh, or sorry, <laughs> I just wanted to be like, oh yeah, I actually uh, remember that. I remember a kid getting kicked out. <laughs> so like. <laughs> So the best yeah, part about this story is uh, this girl I went on like, this date on was in the same room and she did not remember me as I was getting oh. kicked out. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there least, it goes. That's it. Wow. That's <laughs> At least it's worse if she does remember, right? Like, I don't know. Does it? Like, is it, is it better or worse? So I was like, ooh, we're getting kicked out. I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's pretty rough because on one hand, you'd like to be a memorable person to go on a date with. But on the other hand, yeah. you really don't want to be recognized as you're getting kicked out of a room. So that's what exactly. I was thinking. Really that's a good writer's dilemma. That's, you know, it's a situation it we need true to throw a character that, in. <laughs> is it true that the fact that she did not remember you actually inspired the magic system? <laughs> 100%. That is, that is the root of the magic system right there. You nailed it. You brought back all these, all you were these like, collective childhood memories. <laughs> You're like, I'm so memorable that the only way she could have forgotten is through some sort of magic means. And once those wheels start turning, they just don't stop. <laughs> exactly you figured it out i created the magic system in that cold spring harbor library like room all alone <laughs> scribbling like i i skipped you know the essay section of the sit to start like writing notes in my hand like, this magic. Like, make everyone forget everyone they'll never forget me now there the you first go. draft is just on the back of a scantron yeah exactly i had to take it out with me couldn't, yes. i couldn't afford to got a zero on the sat didn't even get like you didn't even get the what was it 400 points for writing your name like <laughs> well you did but no one believed it was your name because there was exactly no there was no exactly <laughs> oh, oh, i haven't thought about gosh. that in years <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time and coming on here with us. It's been really great. Congratulations again on the completion of yeah. your of your first trilogy. That's such a huge accomplishment, then, and you crushed it. So, really, congrats! And we're looking forward thank to you. seeing what else you come out with in your career. That's only just beginning. We're excited to see it. So, thank mm -hmm. you. And Brandon Sarison has promised it will be a long one. So, yes. we're looking forward to everything that you'll produce. Yeah, no pressure there, right? <laughs> I yeah, have, it's I have only <laughs> right. If you stop writing, Brandon's gonna be pissed. And, yeah, and so will we. So, uh, not that <laughs> Brandon's disappointment probably ranks higher. Than ours, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think we're gonna get to see a lot more great work from you, Nick. And yeah, we're so excited to read it when it does come out. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right, guys thank you all so so much for listening again remember to check out nick martell check out the legend of the mercenary king thank you all so so much for listening and as always go forth and conquer friends <laughs> <laughs>